Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to everyone who's here, and welcome to those who are watching online. It's Heaven's birthday right now, so I wish Heaven a happy birthday. She came in wearing a crown just to let us know. Well, actually, we didn't know, and we had to worry for a while, like, is she having a breakdown, or what's... <laughs> but if you know Heaven, wish her a happy birthday, um, there she is. Ta-da. <laughs> Happy birthday, Heaven. Well, we've got a lot of things happening as this season is coming together. So uh, we're going to pray and move forward this morning. Uh, glad you guys could be here and join us. And let's pause and pray. Father, once again, we gather in the name of Jesus, acknowledging that there is work you are doing through Christ in us, and we want to be open to that work. We want to lean into it, and we take time aside like this morning to do that, to uh, inquire from Scripture, to converse with one another, to wrestle with the things we see around us and hopefully allow you to be revealed in that process. Again, we are grateful for this time and ask that your spirit move in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Randy. That was a great song. Uh, it's always interesting when I get uncomfortable in a good way by a song where it's like, ah, it's doing something in me. It's making me think and it's pushing me to places where maybe I haven't been in a while and got to wrestle with it. So thanks for making me uncomfortable, Randy. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a good thing. Good morning again. Uh, a few announcements uh, one is that we have took on uh, the Christmas stockings with Foothill Family Shelter. We have 33 stockings that we said we would do. It's basically all the kids that they are accounting for, and we are going to take care of it. Now, a number of those have been already uh, 
taken. And what's happened, and thank you to Brianna for taking care of this, what she has done is she has made a stocking for each of the kids and put their name on them. And inside the stocking, it has the child's age, if it's a boy or a girl. And then what we want to do is fill these stockings with about $40 worth of goods, right? It could be toys. It could be, you know, this one is a teenage girl. And so it could be, you know, uh, filled with like uh, hygiene products, things like that. This one, Judah, I took Judah because it seemed only fitting. Judah is a four-year-old boy. And so he's going to get some Hot Wheels. And I'm actually going to take Judah out with me, probably to Target or Walmart. And let's fill this kids stocking up with some things that you would like. And so if you are here, the stockings are there on the table. You can go and claim as many as you want and plan to fill them with about $40 worth of material. If you cannot do the shopping, but you still want to help, go to the table and sign up for what children you would like to sponsor and just like put a check by their names and you can give the money uh, to Gil to cover for those stockings. So if you're like, well, I can't really go shopping, but I'm going to take three stockings. And so here's 120 bucks for these three stockings. You know, I, I Randy sent me over a thing that in 2020, in the U.S., we spent 700, over $770 billion on Christmas. That's unfathomable. And that was up 8% from 2019. I don't know if it's pandemic just made more buying or what it is, but it went up 8%. And then it was over $15 billion was spent on gifts that were returned. It's just troubling. It's so troubling. And we're trying to fill some kids' stockings, right? And we've been doing this for a year. We've called it Advent Advent conspiracy, I don't know if we're going to call it that or it doesn't matter what we call it. How did we get to a place where a season of goodwill towards men and peace on earth and love for your neighbor became about consumerism and spending and buying? What can we do to change that? And we have challenged people in the past to spend less, but give more, right? Don't spend your money on things. Give your time. Go out to dinner with people. And then there are a number of programs that are happening. If we complete this, because I think we have about 16 stockings of the 33 left, if we complete this, then we're going to find other things that we can do, and we'll just keep doing it until there's nothing less that we, left that we can give towards. If you guys continue to just be generous, we'll, we'll just keep finding needs because they're not hard to find. And I would rather buy this four-year-old Judah a stockings worth of gifts than spend money on something that no one needs. Right. I, I don't need anything. I really don't. I, I don't need any gifts. If you want to bake me cookies, I, I'll take that. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. Right? I, I'd rather have this season be about how 
Christ still changes the world. And this is our opportunity to lean into that. So these stockings are there at the table. I'm going to leave these ones here. And of course, again, giving online is there. If you go to thegenesisstory.com, you can find out how to give both here and to all the different events that we're uh, participating in. Again, thank you for everyone who participated in the Thanksgiving baskets for Foothill Family Shelter. And we're just going to continue doing these things as they come up. Um, I think that's it for the announcements that I can think of. We are continuing in the book of Exodus this week. And remember last week, we started off with the psalmist who declared that the heavens declared the glory of, of God, that the earths proclaim his glory, the firmaments, they're always speaking about God. And we talked about how as our understanding of life and the universe and our experience with those things grow because there's so much more to learn. Our understanding of God also grows. And so I, I said that it's an, a reimagining of God. And we see that happening in scripture. It, this isn't something that we just do, and it's not something that's new. Scripture itself does that. I, I mentioned the book of Nahum and dealing with the Assyrians and the book of Jonah and how Jonah deals with the Assyrians. We talked about the song of Moses in chapter 15 that was very violent about crashing and killing the enemy. And then we've got Jesus saying, love your enemies. There's, there's this transition that takes place because people start to see the world through different eyes as they experience things and learn more. And that's something that I hope we can understand is our participation with Scripture. And in chapter 15, the end of it, the children of Israel are heading out into the wilderness. They, they've crossed through the Red Sea and there's a lot of things that happen. We're not covering all the events that take place, but they're about to head out into the wilderness and it's hard to believe that not anyone thought, hey, what are we gonna do about food and water? They just start going out into the wilderness and in chapter 15, verse 22, we have the first of three accounts with water and also some with food problems that they encounter. So Exodus 15, 22 says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And again, that's the Sea of Reeds. You'll see that in your footnote. We talked about that. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. It means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it in the water and the water became fit to drink. Now, we have this body of water that's called bitterness and it's called bitterness probably because the people came there and saw that it was bitter. The name is the experience, right? They didn't say, hey, what's that place called? Oh, it's called bitter. Let's go, hey, this water's bitter, right? No, they went and they said, hey, this water's bitter. What's this place called? It's bitter. And so their experience brought the name to the water. And so this is an account of why this was called that. And it's interesting how that happens in our life. I was driving 
uh, Friday back from LA and my cousin from Napa was down with us for a few days to see the new grandbaby. And so I wanted to get back to spend some time with her. And coming back from L.A. on a Friday is always a challenging thing. You never know what you're going to encounter. And if you leave 10 minutes later, it can cost you 20 minutes, right? And if you encounter an accident, it can cost you a half hour or more. You just don't know. And so I was a little bit anxious, wanting to hurry up and leave at a certain time. And as I'm driving, you know, I've got my GPS, and I'm wondering, is it going to send me on some side street because there's an accident? Because it took me two hours to get to where I wanted to that day, which was longer than usual. And so I was just, everything was running late. And I get behind a car, and I'm in the fast lane. I tend to drive faster. And and so I'm behind this car that's not quite doing the speed limit. And there's no car in front of it. And there are no cars to the side of it. And I'm annoyed because I'm thinking, you know, all I ask is the speed limit. Actually, I ask for more, but I would take that right now. But they aren't, and they're oblivious of me, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to honk. I'm not going to flash. I just go to the, I pass them on the right, and I get by them, and I start driving my speed, right? Now, I'm driving at my speed, and I don't want to say how fast it is, but it's less than 81 miles an hour, okay? And as I'm driving, all of a sudden, I see a car come up behind me and start pushing up against me. And I immediately start thinking, I'm going fast enough. I'm going over the speed limit. And it dawns on me that I am now the annoying person because there is no car to my right and there's really no car in front of me. And so I am now annoying the person who's behind me, even though I'm annoyed at them because they're riding on my tail, right? And so I pull over and I have this moment, you know, this, okay, so what am I? Am I the annoying one or am I the one being annoyed? And then it dawns on me that I am both because I am not just in traffic. I am a part of traffic. And having an understanding that it's not just me against the 101, it's me, a part of all these people who are on the 101. And that perception change and that conversation helped my anxiety level to realize that, you know, you're a part of the problem. It's not that there is a problem. It's that there is a situation you are in. And I think that's an important thing because the anxiety I was feeling or the the lack of peace, it started making me think, you know, peace is not something that we have, but an awareness of how things are and our place in it. Because peace can happen even in tumultuous times. Even when things are difficult, you can find peace. And so it's not like, oh, things were good, so I have peace. No, peace is, again, understanding my Awareness in the situation that I'm in, that I am a part of something more and understanding it in the right way allows me not to be caught up in the anxiety. So it was an interesting moment for me, right, to realize that I am both in traffic and am traffic itself. It's not something happening to me. 
I'm a participant in it. Seeing things in that way made a difference in my experience. And the waters are bitter because the people are bitter. And I don't know if you can throw a piece of wood in bitter water and make it sweet or not. I don't know if that's something that is chemically true or not. Or maybe, again, this is part of that mythicized history that's trying to tell a deeper story. It's trying to push us into an understanding of where these people are and what they are creating because of where they are. Because after they leave Marah, bitter, they come to an oasis in verse 27, chapter 15. They came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So they found some water, great. But they got to move on. And you can only fill so many canteens, and you can only carry so much water. And a few months later, they head out, and have a food problem. And we see that in chapter 16, verse one. The whole Israelite community set out to Elam and came to the desert of Sin. It's just got a bad sound already. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day, in the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now that's a picture, right? It's like, weren't you guys slaves? But let's not think about that. Let's just talk about how bad things are, right? This is an Uncle Rico moment. If I had been in the game, I could have made all state. You know, it's like, this is bad. Look what you're doing to us. And who's in charge of this road trip anyway? No water, no food. Who's planning things? What's going on here? And so after they're complaining again, the Lord provides quail for meat and this flake-like substance that comes from the ground. At one point, at one verse it says that it's going to rain down, but then in another verse it says it's coming from the ground. Again, two different versions of what's happening. But this flake-like substance comes up from the ground, and they eat it and call it manna. And the word manna means what is it? That's what it means. It's like what my granddaughter asked me when I gave her some menudo. Right? She's like, what is it? Like, you don't want to know. But this manna comes up from the ground and it's supplying food for them for their journey. And it comes up every morning and they can't hoard it. Otherwise, it'll spoil. Except on the day before the Sabbath, they can take twice as much and it will last for the two days, which brings up a question What was the Sabbath when the Sabbath doesn't even come into play until chapter 20? Are are the people like, what is this Sabbath thing you're talking about? What do you mean we have to save for the Sabbath? Was it already known? Why does it show up later? And that's not even the interesting thing. There's other things that bring into question what's going to happen later in verses 34 and and 35. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, put the manna with the tablets 
of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites, Israelites, I can't talk today, ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Where were the tablets of the covenant? Those don't come into play until Mount Sinai. And the tabernacle or the ark doesn't come into play until much later. And then notice also it says 40 years as if it was in the past tense. And I say all this to just, again, remind us that this is a story being written looking back. And it's not meant to be some chronological order because there's all these things we keep bumping into. Right? I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to say, see, this proves it's wrong. No, I'm just trying to say this is a tradition that has been handed down and they're looking back. It's not something that Moses is penning at the time because these things don't happen in this order. Just revealing again, it was written at a much later time. And so then we come to this third water story in chapter 17, We'll start at verse one. The whole Israelite community sat out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephdim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Now, if I stop there, I'm siding with the people on this one. Okay, if I go somewhere and there's no water and you're leading me, I'm wanting to know why didn't you provide water? But Moses seems to turn it and say, why are you guys testing the Lord? In verse three, the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Masa and Miriam. Guess why? Because it was about testing and quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, rock at Horeb again. Horeb is another name for Sinai that we see interchanged throughout the book. And again, I'm kind of with the people on this. I, I would be freaked out too. I think most of us would when we need water. But again, we see that the place is named by how they reacted to the experience, not realizing that the experience is not only happening to them, but they are participants in making the experience happen. How they reacted to the circumstance became what the circumstance really was. And I want to jump to a final account as I try and tie this together. And this happens in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20 at verse 2, 
says, now there was no water, of course, for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we are and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with its staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Now, there's a lot more that goes on here. Moses and Aaron get rebuked by God for striking the rock twice and not representing him well. At least that's the thought because they're not allowed to go now into the promised land because of this event. But there's so many questions like, why would God be so upset at him for that? That doesn't seem like a big ticket item to me anyway. It seems like it was justified. But that's the case. Another question is, what happened between the first rock and this rock? There's 40 years of wandering in the desert. Where did they get water for 40 years? Now, this has been a problem that has been thought about for as long as it's been a story. And what a lot of ancient Hebrews said in their tradition, even before Jesus, was that it was the same rock and it followed the children of Israel throughout the wilderness, kind of like a traveling water fountain, right? And if you think, that's silly. Uh, that's at least what I think. If you look to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul writes, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Some, script, some translation says that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, Paul is picking up on a tradition that was common. Now, I don't know if Paul actually believed that this happened or not. I can't answer for him. But again, I think something deeper is being told. I, I do believe that the point is that the presence of Christ, notice he doesn't say Jesus, that's another story in itself, but the presence of Christ was with them through that whole journey. That, that God was present and that Christ in a mysterious way is also present. And it seems like in all these stories, the lack of food and water aren't the problem, but the complaining is the problem, which at first sight seems backwards to me. But then why are these stories here? Is there something more being told that 
maybe we're supposed to see. One trip when I went to Haiti, we traveled on a four-wheel drive truck and it needed it all the way to this one place where we then left the vehicles just in the middle of nowhere. We locked them, um, even though I don't think anyone was going to be there to take them. You know, we locked them and then we had to hike down for a few miles to this village where they had a church and where they had, after the church service, they had a wedding and the reception that went all night. And I was kind of in the middle of the wedding reception in a small tent while it was going on around me. It was an interesting night. Um, In the morning, we got up. And in Haiti, it's very humid. It's very hot. And I had one bottle of water, and it was my last bottle of water, and this is all I had. They had a well, but they tested the well, and the water was not good to drink. It had feces in it and other things, and so we weren't going to take that water. So I had this one bottle of water that I was nursing. And then we had to hike back up this hill. Again, it's probably a couple of miles up this hill, and... Not that I'm in bad shape, but I wasn't in great shape, right? And so I get up there, and I'm just sweating, and, you know, these kids are, like, running up and down, you know. I'm like, look, show off, you know. I finally make it to the vehicle. We get into the vehicle. I'm in the vehicle with five other people, and no one has any water except me. And by now, it's, like, not quite even a half a bottle of water. And everyone is just thirsty. We're all just, like, parched. And as we start driving, someone asks, does anyone have any water? And I said, no. Um, no, I said, <laughs> I said, I do. I, I, and I, I've got this much. And we, we became, we communed together. And no one was worried about germs. No one was worried about anything because we were all parched. And so we shared this little bit of water between five of us as we drove for a couple of hours. okay. And it was one of these things, again, I've never like been dying of thirst, but that was, you know, like I could really use some water right now. Could you, yeah. And so we finally found a place where we pulled over and we got these little bags of water. They weren't even bottles. They're like not Ziploc bags. They were all sealed, but they just, that's how they drink water is they bite a hole in the bag and you drink. And it was like the best water ever, right? I mean, it was just like, I can now drink more than a sip, and I don't have to hand this to anyone. We all had water to drink, right? And while we were driving, no one was complaining, like, why didn't you bring any more water? What's going on here? We had to deal with the situation as it was. We had to share what water we had. You know, looking for peace will not get you out of anxiety, just like complaining about water will not provide you water, Recognizing the situation, seeing yourself as a participant in it might give you a perspective that can help you through it. Maybe someone else could have said, hey, there's this wood that'll help make the water not bitter. Maybe they could have asked things different. Maybe they could have inquired in a different way, but the complaining arose because there was a lack of vision to see things other than the problem. All I see is the car in front of me that's annoying me. Not realizing that I am also a car in front of somebody. I'm also participating in this traffic, right? They're frustrated by the traffic without seeing themselves as part of the traffic. They are annoyed and unaware that they are annoying. 
And it's as if God is expecting more from them than they are from themselves. They're being challenged to be more than they are at the moment. God's expecting more out of them. Why would he do that? In Exodus 19, verse 4, it says, You, the Lord is speaking, yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. These people are a treasured possession, these complaining people. They are a kingdom of priests. Now, the idea of priest is someone who mediates between God, the divine, and the human. And and to be holy isn't about a certain morality. It's being set aside with purpose. These people, God is saying, are to have a voice of who I am to the nations around them. Remember Abraham, God said to him, "You by you all the nations will be blessed. This is kind of carrying along with that. And, and you look at these people and you say, well, I wouldn't have expected that from them, but God is. My grandson has been having some problems in school and he's been getting kicked out of class because he's disruptive. And we took him to uh, get an assessment to see what's going on with him. And, and the teacher who's doing the assessing said, yeah, he's got ADHD. And we were like, duh, we could have told you that. I mean, that's why we went there, because we knew that, right? But we are concerned about other things. We can't even know if he's dyslexic because he can't read a sentence before he gets bored halfway through it, right? He starts reading and then he's like, gone. And so in the class, when they're doing things that's taking a long time, his mind can only go so far and then it's somewhere else. And so there is this kind of, well, he's a troublemaker. He's doing all these things. And so the the teacher who's doing the assessment says, yeah, he, he can't hang for the reading and the sentences, but he's really good at math. He does math really well. And she told us, she has this game, it's like a music game, and when he plays this game, he's like, excellent. He would probably be very good. If you got him to piano lessons, he would probably excel in that. You just have to find an instructor who's able to teach squirrels. That's what she told us, right? And we like, we get it. We get it, right? He, he's just wired differently, but it's not that there's nothing there. There's potential there. It's just in this place. It's not seen maybe in this classroom setting, but there is an expectation that is there from someone who sees and knows a little bit more about him that he could actually excel in things if he's given the proper understanding and scenario that he can be in. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The exact same thing is now being told to us that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
What does God see in us? What does God expect of us? And, and am I living in a place where I am complaining about the circumstances that I'm in? I'm ex- complaining about the government and the politicians, not realizing that the things I watch, listen to, and click are actually feeding into the system that I myself am a part of. Not stepping back and seeing that there is more going on than just what is happening to me, that I am happening with it and a participant with it. I don't like the way things are, but I'm a participant in society. What am I doing different? How can I find peace in an anxious world if all I do is complain? And what does it mean to be present in here where we're at in this time to be uh, even... Revelation says, a kingdom of priests. What does that look like today? How do I represent the divine to the human in our country, in our society, just like people in other countries and other societies who also are following this Christ are to do? Well, in 1 John 4.17, it says that we are like Jesus. As he is, so are we. And Jesus says that we are to be peacemakers. And you can only make peace when you recognize that you are a participant in life with God. And you get others to join and participate with you. God is for you, not against you. There is water to be found. There is food for the soul. But it comes by participation with the problems and with the people around us. It doesn't get solved by complaining. And I think many times that's what prayer is, is the recalibrating of our, our focus and the recognition of our place in what is happening. Because I think God is expecting things of us. I think God wants us to see the potential in our lives and what we can do. And I think just like my Judah and the things I know about him, the tenderness I see in him, the the beauty that is there might be missed in a classroom setting, but it's not missed by the people who love him. And I don't know who this Judah is. But I think the same thing is true of him. And you can put other names on these stockings and other names on these people. And I think God is wanting to see them come to the top and flourish. And I think my role to be a peacemaker and to be like Christ is to help in that endeavor. Otherwise, I'm just on the freeway complaining. I'm not getting there fast enough. I'm just annoyed, not realizing that... I'm also a very annoying. And so let's change how we see ourselves in this picture, in the scenario. And let's think about how we can rise to the top and, and represent Jesus well. And as we have the season coming upon us, you know, the holiday seasons, 
What an opportunity to be able to change what Christmas means to people and stop the consumerism and bring it to a place where, you know what? We got the socks and the stuffing for 33 kids. And, you know, if that's not enough, then we're also going to help the children in Haiti so that they can get food and the things that they need. And if that's not enough, there's enough problems for us to step into. But we have to see ourselves as part of it. We're not separate. We're in this. We're supposed to be in this. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that's what that means. You, your involvement is supposed to bring the divine and the human together. And that's what we're desiring to do. And I think that's hidden in this story of complaining and the need for what quenches our thirst. Jesus says, I have bread that you don't know of. It was to do the will of the Father. I think that's the same food we have. Let's pray. Lord, again, I am challenged. I am wrestling with the things that I read. And I believe your spirit is moving my understanding from place to place. And I'm grateful for that, even though it can be uncomfortable. And I pray that we would all take a look, step back, and see our participation in the things around us. The, the things that bother us are really the answer for what we need. The water wasn't the problem. The lack of water wasn't the real problem. It was the lack of understanding that was the problem. The water just revealed it. Made the things that annoy us reveal to us what our problems are so that we can make a change that is beneficial for everyone. Thank you again for challenging us through scripture, I'm grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. As a close, I want to ask a question of us that maybe we can talk about a little bit afterwards, us who are here, but those who are watching can maybe ask of themselves, what are the things that are annoying you? And what is it in that annoyance that is trying to teach you to see differently and may you recognize that peace is not something that you take hold of but it is an awareness of where you are and that wherever you are you are in the presence of Christ God bless you guys have a wonderful day and we'll see you next week you have been listening to the Genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.